Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. Feel free to send along a comment there using our contact form or go to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Send an email to me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, We are talking still about uh, many of the attributes of God. We've talked about God being of one essence, and yet we, in human terms, express God's attributes or nature or essence in terms of uh, various uh, words. And one of those is God's goodness, one that is just a joy to talk about. God's goodness includes many of his other attributes. When we say God's goodness, we're talking about his kindness, his his love, his grace, his mercy, and even even his wrath is good, his immutability is good, his being unchanging. All the other attributes that we've talked about and more, they all include each other, if I can say that awkwardly. And so today we see God's goodness and severity even in our interaction with his goodness. If we just quickly look at Romans 11, Paul is explaining the gospel going to the Gentiles, and he's using an olive tree metaphor, you might remember. In Romans 11, verse 22, note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. He's talking to the Gentiles. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. This, this word kindness here is, it's goodness. It's specifically moral goodness. We'll see this word and explain the meaning of the Greek word in another passage in a moment. J.I. Packer explains that we have developed religious hunches about God rather than knowing the true God of Scripture. Isn't that the truth? We've kind of developed a God after our image. We're guilty of anthropomorphism, that is, ascribing human traits to God. He says that modern people tend to think of all religions as equivalent, and this causes further confusion. Modern Christians tend to mix pagan ideology with truth. And then the third reason he gives for our failure to understand the goodness of God is that we fail to recognize our own sinfulness, our enmity against God. He says that we have embraced a sort of celestial Santa Claus. I often call this belief in a in a cosmic vending machine where we put good in and we get a treat. It's kind of a Christian karma that we think of when we think of God. As you know, this is not the true living God of Scripture. God's goodness is an attribute that is not clearly understood. God is infinitely good. He is good in and of himself. Nothing else is this sort of good. He doesn't need other inputs to make himself good. He's not working on a self-improvement plan to become better. All goodness is from God. 
No good in anyone or anything originated other than from God Almighty. You didn't make yourself good. I didn't make myself good. God is essentially good. He is goodness itself. Nothing can be added to God to make him better. He is absolute perfection. The goodness of God endures continually. We see this in Psalm 52, verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. And then down in verse 8 of that same chapter, Psalm 52. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Goodness is one of the perfect attributes of God's nature, his essence, one of many. All of his attributes, like all of the others, this attribute is included in all the others. His goodness permeates his grace, mercy, love, omnipotence, and so on. God is infinitely good. He is eternally and immutably good. He cannot be any less good than entirely good. There's no room Again, to add to his goodness, his goodness is not lacking in any respect. He is the highest good. The original Saxon meaning or German meaning of our English word God is the good. God isn't just greater than all other things. He is the absolute best. He has imparted all of the good that is in any other creature. It came from God. God's goodness doesn't come from outside of him. It is the essence of his eternal nature. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's interesting that that word good in Psalm 34, and frankly, in the next few references, in fact, in most of the most of the time, with the word that is translated in the Old Testament, good, is the Hebrew word tob, T-O-B. This time, it's an adjective. It, it's, it's the same word used in Genesis to describe creation, where he says, and he, he saw whatever on whatever day, and it was good. This is the same word. It's, it's, it's used in, in the passages that I'm about to read as well. This is, this is good in the, in the widest sense of the word psalm 100 verse 5 for the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations psalm 106 1 praise the lord oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever notice that that the the why or the because oh give thanks to the lord for because it could have been the translation there because he is good for his steadfast love, because his steadfast love endures forever. He's good because or for his steadfast love endures forever. Note note his love, faithfulness, immutability, and goodness all in this one verse in Psalm 106. One, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. When we say that he is good, we mean that he loves perfectly and we're really referencing his kindness. When we say that he's good, we're actually communicating the truth of his love, his faithfulness, his patience, his grace, his mercy, and so on. This word good just helps us see his essence so much more clearly. This should be a continual testimony from our lips. He is so benevolent, kind, merciful, and giving. 
We sometimes waver in our confidence in the goodness of God, perhaps more than his other attributes, but he is good all the time. Zechariah 9.17, for how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. Romans 2.4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, goodness, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness or goodness is meant to lead you to repentance. This this word for kindness is krestotes. Uh, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-T-E-S is the uh, English spelling of the Greek word. A noun meaning moral goodness. The second kindness in this passage is krestos, an adjective meaning fit for use, virtuous or good, pleasant. The word lead is ago, a verb meaning to lead or bring or to lead by laying hold of. And repentance is a word you're familiar with. It's a noun, metanoia, which means change of mind or direction, specifically away from sin and toward God. Very similar to the concept we see communicated by Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Psalm 52, 1 says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day, or the goodness of God endures all the day. God is and was eternally good. We've studied his eternal power and knowledge in the context of of an eternal timeline that we've talked about. God is entirely good throughout every point on that timeline, if I can call it that. He was eternally good before he granted or imparted any goodness to any of his creatures. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. All things are filled with his goodness. We talked about creation, Genesis 1:31, and God saw that everything he had made and behold, it was very good. This is on the sixth day, the day he created man. He called it very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. Psalm 139, 14, I praise you I am for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 1 Timothy 4, 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The verse before this one talks about false teachers and who require abstinence from marriage and certain foods. Uh, the first word in verse 4 is for, indicating because or, or the why for verse th- for, from verse 3. This is a different word that is translated good. It's kalos, K-A-L-O-S. It's an adjective that means beautiful or surpassing, distinguished in form or pleasing. The word translated rejected could have been translated refused or thrown away. For everything created by God is good. Creation is our first evidence of the goodness of God. And the highest of the creatures, man, is clear evidence of the goodness of God in creation. Our bodies, if you think about it, even in our fallen state, are, are good. They testify to God's goodness. Our, our hands are perfectly situated for their function, aren't they? Our eyes and their complexity attest to God's goodness. Our, our senses, think about that, allow us to experience God's goodness. He could have nourished us in other ways, but we get to experience food and its flavors. God has given us senses and the means to gratify them in perfect balance. Anything that is on this earth, and, and there, there are many of them, uh, are good. The, all, all the things that are on this earth are good because God made them good. 
Yes, there's evil in the world. We talk about that a lot, but there there is much more good because God is good and created the world and declared it to be very good. Yes, the fall gives us a, a view of his wrath, but his created good, much of it anyway, remains. His, his creatures, his other creatures other than man, benefit from his goodness. We see this in the Psalms, Psalm 145, verse 16. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 136, 25. It is he who, starting in verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. And then Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, of the goodness of the Lord. Uh, the world is full. The earth is full of this. God gives us pleasure. He He is goodness. We see this in so many ways. The Think about the earth, for example. It, 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 it could have been sufficient without, without being so varied. Just notice the variety of plants, of, of flowers. I can't scratch the surface on this in, in this podcast episode, but the mountains, the waterfalls, the, the sounds that birds make, the flight of the birds themselves, the wind in the trees, and, and on and on we could go about the evidence of God's goodness that surrounds us on this earth. Wouldn't the world be a nicer place if we focused on looking for the goodness of God in nature, in, in people, in, in all things. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. There's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount that I just really like in Matthew 6. It says, starting in verse 25, it's really all about God's goodness and, and how it's actually supposed to reduce our anxiety. Listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, there's an imperative from Jesus directly in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value? Are you are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Why should we worry? Hmm. Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our entire lesson today, the point of today, is summarized here. God is good all the time to all creatures, to the entire earth. We can rest in him. Our response should be to trust him 
and and that reduces our anxiety. God's goodness, his real goodness, not the counterfeit God that many imagine, but the true living God is very settling to us. It's comforting to us. It gives us peace. If we know the true living God, the God of Scripture that we've been studying, our anxiety is re- reduced. I, I'm, I'm struck by how often we take a good thing, work, something we're intended to do, to be fulfilled by, and, and we think that if, if some is good, more is better. And we get to the point wherein we turn it into an idol. We can become hypervigilant and actually think that anxiety is even a virtue. In some cultures, it is. We do this with many good things God intends for us. This passage is not just a, an indicative about how stress work, but it works, but it includes the imperative, do not be anxious about your life. Jesus is telling us to seek first the kingdom of God, to recognize that he is the source of the things we tend to toil or strive for. This passage is about trusting on, trusting in, relying on God. We have to know him to do this. Well, God's goodness is even evident in the fall of man. Think about this just for a moment. He could have immediately revealed his wrath against sin. He could have deprived man of every blessing of creation. Instead, we see his mercies, his tender mercies, even in his judgment, even in his judgment after the fall. God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. We see this in James 2 and verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. His goodness is pervasive. The goodness of God greatly outweighs the evils of our fallen state. Even on this fallen earth, even when we encounter struggles, we experience much more happiness than misery in the world. God has blessed us with endurance and a sense of making the most of difficult circumstances within our nature because of his goodness. Also, God's goodness or benevolence cannot be justly called into question because of the suffering and sorrow in the world. You'll you'll hear that sometimes. So how could God be good? How can he be good and all-powerful if he allows this? Well, if you you look at at Romans 2, uh, that that verse we read in in verse 4, and and I'll read verse 5 also, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, that word kindness is our word Christodes. It means goodness, moral goodness, or kindness. Forbearance is tolerance. Repentance is that word metanoia that we talked about before, a change of direction, a change of mind, a reversal. Note that we store up wrath for ourselves. Man has no one to blame but himself. God would not be good if he didn't punish those who abuse his blessings and mercies. God's wrath, in fact, is the greatest exemplification of his goodness. His goodness will be clear when he rids the earth of sinners who defied his authority, mocked his messengers, scorned his son, and persecuted those for whom he died. That is A.W. Pink in his book on the attributes of God. The goodness of God appears most clearly in his son. We have said this about many of God's attributes because 
of the unity of the Godhead, just the sheer beauty, magnificence of Jesus Christ himself. Galatians 4 spells this out in verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Just the sheer sonship, heirship that we experience because of Jesus Christ is incredible. It's just incredible just to ponder. Luke 2.14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. The grace of God, or his goodness that brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Titus 2.11-14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That word redeem is is to, to release on receipt of a ransom. He paid our ransom. The goodness of God cannot be called into question because he's not redeemed every sinful creature by his redeeming grace. You, you might have noticed a pattern that I have as, as I, I prepare these lessons. I was trained long ago in argumentation to address the critical few objections to the argument I'm making, and I try to do that in these episodes. But can you imagine, had God left all fallen angels and humans to perish, that, that would not have reflected poorly on his goodness? We take his grace for granted, don't we? In Matthew 20, we see the parable of laborers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said, because no one has hired us. They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those who those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker 
as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. The abundance of God's grace is clear in Scripture, but don't we begrudge His grace to others? When we talk about wisdom next week, we'll, we'll close our study with a, with a caution about misunderstanding wisdom. We think wisdom is understanding why God does what He does, sort of figuring God out. That isn't true biblical wisdom. Knowing that God is God and we can rest in Him is the point of the parable we just read. We don't always get to know the why, and it becomes arrogance when we second-guess God. There's a passage in Romans 3 that we've read quite a bit in this series. In verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Isn't that the point? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. God's goodness in Jesus Christ is clear in Scripture. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, or that word could have been translated goodness, toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see his goodness to us and the fact that we are prepared in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God applies his goodness in various ways. We see his goodness here in Jesus Christ, but he applies it in the, in the broadest way. God, God applies his goodness to all creatures. He's, he's given generously to the whole earth. Psalm 33, 5, he loves Righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 104, 27, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. We depend on God. The whole earth depends on the goodness of God. But he's also good to even unbelievers. We call this common grace, don't we? This is true even as they persist in their sins. It's true even of God's treatment of his enemies. They experience marriage, other relationships, work, music, discoveries, trips, good weather, food, medicine, sports, art, reading. Matthew 5 says, you've, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Notice that God is modeling our the way we are to love by His goodness to the whole earth. And if you re, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember when Paul healed a man at Lystra and the people began to worship him? Paul, that is. He explained to them that God is gracious even to nations who walk in their own ways. We see this in Acts 14. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Isn't that interesting? We could read about Asaph's confession in Psalm 73. Somehow we think, like, like, like this section reflects in Psalm 73, that we're somehow more deserving of the grace of God than others. Psalm 25.8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. God's goodness is extended to unbelievers, to sinners. Common grace is a real thing, something that Scripture talks about. And then, finally, there's God's grace to his own children, to you and to me. This isn't always true. Uh, he doesn't always bless us with material blessings, but he does bless us with material blessings, and we don't need to be afraid of reading verses like Psalm 3410, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We see God's goodness to, to us in another section, the, the ask, seek, and knock section of the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Wow, there's so much in this section. Psalm 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And then James 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Well, we see that God is good to us through various ways. His, his plans, he's good providentially, he provides for us, he's patient with us. We talked about a few weeks ago, and, and he pardons us from 
our sin. There, there is just so much beauty in God's goodness. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were dead, he says. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our, our response to God's goodness is, is to be grateful. Psalm 107, verse 8, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with all good things. Psalm 116, starting in verse 12, For what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? How am I to react to God's goodness? The psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Gratitude and trust are the response, our response, the appropriate response to God's goodness. Our gratitude is often withheld because God's goodness is so abundant and constant. It's not felt sometimes because we experience it perpetually, daily. God's goodness is meant to lead us to repentance, but it also serves to harden those who, who suppose God overlooks our sin. We saw that in Romans 1. The goodness of God, A.W. Pink says, the goodness of God is the life of the believer's trust. It is the excellence of God that most appeals to our hearts because his goodness endures forever. We should never be discouraged. God's goodness should encourage us with gratitude for him when we're wronged because he is good. Even our sin, when we're keenly aware that we aren't good, we, we should revere and praise him for being good. We should never fail to believe that he is good. Our, our unbelief gets in the way. Our lack of faith gets in the way. But Jehovah is good. We can trust in, we can rest in him alone, in God and his goodness. We can join the psalmist in Psalm 116, verse 19. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord with grateful hearts for his goodness. God is faithful and generous. He's, he's good in his promises to fulfill his promises. He's good in his generosity. Great is the Lord, Psalm 145, 3 says, and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made all your works in verse 10 look at the juxtaposition all your works shall give thanks to you O lord and all your saints shall bless you this is a response to god's goodness they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor 
of your kingdom. I hope that is encouraging to you. God is good all the time. We're going to talk next week in, in what will be our last lesson in, in, this, in this long and sometimes interrupted series on the attributes of God. We're going to talk about the wisdom of God. And, and you know, it's not exactly like what we think sometimes. Sometimes we think that if we have God's wisdom, then we can kind of figure him out. And I've got a couple of helpful analogies. Uh, one is one is just the the the, the driving a car, uh, which I, I think is really interesting because when, when you when you drive a car, when you become a wise driver, you, you're learning about depth perception, you're learning about the speed of the car, how to aim it properly, how to keep it in the road. You, but you're not trying to figure out why the road was designed the way that it was. And and sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes we think. Well, we've got to figure God out. Why would God do this? And why would he do that? And wise people seem to understand those things. No, no, they, they really don't. Wisdom is something in, entirely uh, different. One theologian said it's skill. Wisdom is skill in, in relationships to, to God, in relation to God and to man. I think, I think we can come up with a better definition than that. But we'll talk next time about the wisdom of God. I hope you'll come back. And, and enjoy this episode. Tell your friends about us. This is how we've grown as much as we have over the last few years. I'm grateful for you and that you spread the word of this podcast. I hear a word every now and then from someone telling me a particular episode meant so much to them. And sometimes it's a thought that I, I just said in passing, I, I know that, that I pray that God will give me the right words. And I'm just thankful that he uses this podcast for his glory. Uh, you can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. Please like, share, and review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. And I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.